Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, gave a number of teachings called parables concerning the end of the world. How relevant do you think these parables are for us today? Will you find yourself confronting the end of the world? The words of Jesus are entirely relevant and super timely. So let's take a look at them. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dard. What does the Bible mean when it refers to the end of the age, or as the King James Version renders it, the end of the world? Well, the end of the world means the end of this present age and the beginning of the next era or dispensation in time. In Bible parlance, a dispensation is a divinely appointed age in the history of mankind. Many theologians believe history is divided into multiple ages or dispensations, such as the Mosaic Age of the Law, the Church Age of Grace, followed by the thousand-year millennial kingdom when Yeshua, King Messiah, will rule this earth. Now, the word dispensation is biblical and has eight occurrences in the New Testament. The current church age of grace is the period that ends with the second coming of Jesus as King Messiah and righteous judge. The end of the age includes a sequence of events in Scripture, namely the rapture, the great tribulation, the second coming of Jesus, and then the judgment of the nations. All of these events will precede the thousand-year rule of Messiah, known as the millennium. And after the millennium will come the eternal state, in which time as we know it will cease to exist. Jesus used the phrase, the end of the age, to refer to a future time, which I believe is drawing near, when the kingdom of God will be established on earth, when the wicked will be judged, and true justice will finally reign. In fact, Yeshua referred to the end of the age a number of times in Matthew chapter 13, when he explained the meaning of some of his teachings known as parables. In Matthew 13:40, in his parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus warned of a future judgment in which the weeds will be pulled up and burned in the fire. This universal weeding will happen, he said, at the end of the age or at the end of this dispensation. Jesus also likened the kingdom of heaven to a dragnet. In Matthew 13:48, the fishermen collected the good fish from the dragnet, but threw away the bad fish. Likewise, Jesus said the angels will separate the wicked from the righteous and throw the wicked into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This, Yeshua said, is how it will be at the end of the age. In the Lord's parables, the end of the age is associated with separation, sorting, and fire. 
Now, this doesn't fall too well on modern ears. It's all about inclusion nowadays, but this is nevertheless what the New Testament teaches. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' disciples came to him with a question about the end of the age. They asked, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And what followed was Yeshua's end-time briefing called the Olivet Discourse, specifically, please note, as related to the nation of Israel. He taught that the end of the age will be full of great calamities for the rebels and judgment will fall swiftly and with finality. But for the children of God who are alive, the end of the age will be a time of salvation and deliverance. It's important to note that one age or dispensation leads to another. In Matthew 12, 32, Jesus spoke of both this age and the age to come. He said, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. This dispensation, the Church Age of Grace, which is extended to all nations, is rapidly winding up. Everybody is called to repent of their sins and turn to the one and only Savior for salvation. This age has lasted a long time, for 2,000 years. Why? Because, as the Apostle Peter explained, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. However, this present age is not going to last indefinitely and must eventually come to an end. And when the end of the age is consummated with the fullness of the Gentiles brought into the church, then the kingdom will be restored to Israel and a far more glorious age will begin, the millennium under King Messiah. Until then, the New Testament teaches, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. That's why repentance should not be delayed. The age of grace could end at any moment due to the New Testament doctrine called the rapture when the church will be completed and evacuated. Although these are difficult days, believers have the Lord's promise that he's not going to forsake us no matter what happens. In Matthew 28, 20, he promised, Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, when studying Yeshua's end-time parables, William Barclay's book, the parables of Jesus, describes a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Scholars have commented that although the Lord's parables seem simple, the messages they convey are deep. Many of Jesus' parables refer to simple, everyday things, such as family issues, the parable of the prodigal son, or the aftermath of a roadside mugging, that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yet, all his parables deal with major themes of morality, the importance of prayer, or the growth of the kingdom of God. While the story in a parable is not necessarily historical, it is true to life. It's not a fairy tale. Some of Yeshua's parables were designed to reveal mysteries to those on the inside and to conceal the truth 
to the rebels on the outside who would not hear. Now, as a translation of the Hebrew word mashal, the word parable can also refer to a riddle. The rabbis and sages love riddles, acrostics, and gematria, which is the practice of assigning a numerical value to a name, word, or phrase. And by the way, gematria is how the number of the name of the Antichrist will be calculated. In all times in their history, the Jewish people were familiar with teaching by means of parables. In the Hebrew Bible, a famous example is the parable of the ewe lamb told by the prophet Nathan to King David as a rebuke for David's adultery with Bathsheba. Parables were often used by the rabbis who were contemporaries of Yeshua. So his use of parables was a natural teaching method according to the tradition of his time. David Pelagi, our pastor at Jerusalem's Christ Church, says we should pay special attention to Jesus' parables, which remind us that the Lord loved his own people, he loved Jerusalem, and he loved the temple. Yet he was always calling his people to repentance because he could see they were headed for destruction. The parables at the end of Matthew's gospel apply to the last judgment, the end of the world, and the return of the Lord. It's certainly true that he's coming back, and there will be a final judgment, and everybody should be watching and be ready. At the same time, David Pelagi says, these parables also speak on another level about being ready for the end of our lives when we will stand before God and hopefully hear the Lord's commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. One of the Lord's most famous is the parable of the talents, a man who gives his servant some money to invest. When he returns, he wants to know how his servants prospered. The point is what motivates us to serve God and to do his will. We have to be careful at the end of the day that fear doesn't prevent us from using our gifts. So Yeshua has a reputation in the world of being meek and mild, but the New Testament actually paints a more balanced picture. And often through his parables, in the pages of the New Testament, we discover that Jesus is not only compassionate, but he's going to hold us accountable for sin. In fact, he spent much of his time teaching about the dangers of sin and judgment. The parable of the great banquet is told in two versions in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Some of my favorites. A king gives a banquet or a wedding feast. An urgent invitation is issued. But people give all sorts of excuses like they do today. And those who reject the invitation end up being punished and cast into outer darkness. Again, this may sound harsh to modern ears, but the Lord's end time parables forewarn us that we are destined to stand in front of the living God. And the question remains, are we ready? The Lord was a preacher of repentance, a preacher of righteousness. It's our challenge to practice a lifestyle of repentance daily, we should acknowledge our sins, our faults, our shortcomings, and turn away from wrongdoing. 
In one of his sermons in Jerusalem on Jesus' parables, David Pelagi noted that the alternative to sin management is transformation. We believers need to ask ourselves, have we been transformed by the Lord, by the indwelling of his Holy Spirit? Is Jesus more in control of me today than he was, say, five years ago? If not, the kingdom of God, the rulership of God in our lives is not expanding. The Lord wants to be in relationship with us, you see, and we can foster that relationship through prayer, daily Bible reading, and examining ourselves at the Lord's table. Interestingly, there are no parables in John's gospel. The parables of Jesus are found in the three synoptic gospels, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, about 33 parables in all. But some scholars have raised the number as high as 60 by including proverbial expressions. The Gospel of Luke contains both the largest number of parables, 24, 18 of which are unique. The Gospel of Matthew contains 23 parables, of which 11 are unique. And Mark's Gospel has eight parables, of which two are unique. The parables of Yeshua comprise approximately one-third of the recorded teachings, including a number of parables in some of the apocryphal Gospels that are not included in the canon of the New Testament. In my research, I discovered an interesting parable purported to be one of Yeshua's from the non-canonical Gospel of Thomas called the Parable of the Empty Jar. It goes like this. The kingdom of the Father is like a certain woman who was carrying a jar full of meal. While she was walking on the road, the jar broke, but she didn't notice or realize any accident. The meal slowly emptied out behind her on the road, and when she reached her house, she set the jar down only to discover it was empty. Authentic? Well, some scholars give the parable of the empty jar a believable rating, indicating that it is probably, but not certainly, an authentic saying of Yeshua. To me, this parable is a warning that God's power can leak or slip away like the lost flower if we're not diligent to watch our lives. At the end of the day, the emptiness of the jar may represent an empty, superficial life. People who live their lives in the world giving lip service to God carry jars they think are full, but discover, even after much activity, that they are in fact empty vessels. Even if they are saved individuals, they will have no real fruit or rewards. As fascinating as all the parables of the Lord are, today I want to emphasize the parable that he said his followers should not just hear, but learn. In Matthew 24, 32, Jesus said, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see all these things, all the signs of his coming, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, Jesus said, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will shall not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, 
not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now, by careful study of the Lord's Olivet Discourse, we learn that his return to earth will occur after much trial and tribulation, and it will be accompanied by signs of upheaval in the universe. The sun, the moon, and the stars will be disturbed. And then in Matthew 24, 30, he reveals that his coming is going to be visible to everybody, and it's going to cause those who don't believe in him to mourn. They're going to weep and wail because they realize they were in obstinate rebellion and unbelief against the one who was installed by God as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And to remind his people to be ready for his return, Yeshua chose the parable of the fig tree, a symbol of Israel. You may recall that as a divine judgment under his ministry, a fig tree on the Mount of Olives had miraculously dried up from its roots because it didn't bear any visible fruit. The withering of the fig tree actually happened toward the end of the earthly ministry of Jesus. It was a parable to be observed and carefully watched. He said it would be a prophetic end time sign when the fig tree revives, when the fig tree once again puts forth its shoots. He said, when you see the fig tree blossom, know that summer is near. Likewise, when you see all these things coming to pass, the wars, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, pestilences, and so forth, know that the Lord's return is near, even at the doors. Jesus added dramatically, truly I say to you, this generation that sees these things shall not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. So I ask, has the fig tree blossomed again? Indeed it has. Israel that withered and died after their rejection of Jesus has come back to life. The nation on May 14, 1948, and we are the generation to witness it. Therefore, every believer must be watchful for the Lord's imminent coming. We must be ready. He said we can't know the day he's coming, so we must watch by readiness and by continuing day by day to do our Father's will, just like Yeshua faithfully did his Father's business. I like the analogy of watching for the Lord's return being compared to preparing your house to be put on the market. Recently, our son and his wife put their beach house on the market, and it looks really terrific, all spick and span, neat and tidy, because the realtors can call at any time with a potential buyer. So the owners have to be ready to show the house in tip-top shape. The house has to look presentable all the time because you just don't know when a potential buyer will come to see it. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's saying, keep your house clean and in order. That's how we watch for the coming of the Son of Man. Now, regarding the end times, what did Jesus mean when he said in Matthew 24, in Mark 13, in Luke 21, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. Well, the signs and events Jesus had been describing, the rise of false messiahs, the desolation of the holy place in Jerusalem, the darkening of the sun and so forth, all these things did not happen during the lifespan of the people who were alive in Jesus' day. Some did, but not all. Obviously, the Lord meant another generation when he spoke of this generation. 
The key to understanding what Jesus meant by this generation will not pass away until all these things take place is context. We must understand the verses surrounding Matthew 24, 34, especially the verses prior. In Matthew 24, verses 4 to 31, Jesus is clearly giving a prophecy. He's speaking of future events. In Matthew 21, 43, he had already told those living during his earthly ministry that the kingdom had been taken from them. Therefore, it's important that Matthew's chapter 24 and 25 be seen as dealing with Israel in a future time. The generation that Jesus said would not pass until he returns is the people living when the predicted events occur. The word generation refers to the people alive in the future when the events of Matthew 24 and 25 take place. And hallelujah, we have witnessed the revival of the fig tree. Jesus' point in his statement, this generation will not pass until all these things take place, is that the events of the end times will happen rapidly. Once the signs of the end begin to be observed, the end is well on the way. The second coming and the judgment of the nations will occur within that last generation. Jesus reinforced this meaning with the parable of the fig tree that we, he said, have to learn its lesson. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know it's near right at the door. A sure sign of summer is the budding of the fig tree and a sure sign of the end of the world is that all these things of Matthew 24 are happening. Those who are on the earth then will have only a short time left. Now, of course, another interpretation is that Jesus' prophecy has a double fulfillment. In this view, this generation would be the people Jesus was speaking to at that moment. Some of what he predicted was going to occur during their lifetimes. So, when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in A.D. 70, Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled in part. The fall of Jerusalem provided a foretaste of worse things to come. However, many aspects of Jesus' prophecy did not occur in A.D. 70. For example, the celestial signs of Matthew 24 didn't happen. The main problem with the dual fulfillment interpretation is that it does not harmonize with Jesus' statement that all these things will take place in this generation. Therefore, it's better to understand this generation as referring to the generation alive when the end time events are all actually finally occurring. Essentially, the Lord said that once the events of the end times begin, they will happen quickly. Due to God's mercy and forbearance, the age of grace has continued for a very long time. But when the time for judgment finally arrives, things will be wrapped up rapidly. The fact that God will draw events to a quick close is echoed in many passages of Scripture, including Revelation 3.11, where Yeshua said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that nobody takes your crown. In conclusion today, as a point of ministry, it would be appropriate to share one of the Lord's very simple parables. The parable of the two sons. It's found in Matthew 21. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. 
And he went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went to work. Then the man said the same thing to his other son who answered, I will go, sir. But he didn't go. So Jesus asked his contemporaries, which of the two sons did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John, referring to the Baptist, came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Very sobering words of the Lord. Well, in this parable, the two sons are prototypes of how we relate to God the Father. Some say no to God. Others give lip service saying yes, but they don't actually end up doing God's will. But thankfully, in this parable, Jesus presents us with an option. If we don't start out well, we can end well, because in the parable, the first son does repent, and he does go to work in his father's vineyard. So, my friend, even if we think we have failed or wasted a lot of time, it's still not too late to serve the Lord. Presently, as I speak, the door of salvation is still open, and there's still room to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross and be saved. You can receive from Jesus the free gift of eternal life. The transhumanists can't do that for you. But soon Jesus will have returned, and it will be too late. It's time now to invite the Savior into your life, and He will guide you safely through these troublesome days. Then the joy of the Lord will be our strength, and we won't despair about gloom and doom. Hallelujah. I also today want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which continually reports on Bible prophecy and end-time events as relating to the church and Israel. We invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine, Exploits, at our website and at our Jerusalem Channel app, as well as our Jerusalem Channel YouTube. We have uploaded a library of videos available 24-7. So now, the kingdom of God is at hand. The sound of the shofar reminds us that the great day of the Lord is drawing near, and soon we will see our Lord and Savior, King Messiah Yeshua. In the meantime, Daniel 11.32b declares that the people who know their God, you see, that's the point. We have to know God. We'll be strong, not weak. And when we know God, we will have the Holy Spirit active in our lives. And that verse says, therefore, we will accomplish exploits, meaning we're going to do the works of the Lord before his imminent and soon return. If you have any questions, I want you to feel free to contact me on the social media. So many are having questions today about um, the rapture, about Bible prophecy, and there's so much confusion on the topic. But when we rightly handle this word of God, there should not be confusion, and God doesn't want there to be confusion. When we know this word from cover to cover, we can be confident that we are living in the end times, we're living in the times when Bible prophecy is being fulfilled really on a daily basis, especially in Israel. 
So I say that to encourage you. In the meantime, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Until next time, you know me. I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. I'm Christine Darick. Maranatha.